So tonight we're talking about cultivating a, a spirit of adventure or a character of taking risk. I think that if we don't take risk in life, we're never going to have any fun at all. We're never going to experience much at all. And as a Christian, we're never going to experience what God put us on this planet to experience if we're not willing to take risk. And I think by taking risk, I mean putting yourself in a vulnerable position where you can get hurt, where you can get rejected, where a lot of bad things can happen to you. And it's not very fun because we have this uh, protect ourselves mentality. And so we don't like risk necessarily. But I think that without risk, we can't experience what God has for us in this life. Who here tonight would love to live a boring life? Raise your hand. A couple people joking with me. Anyway... How about a meaningless life? How many of you guys woke up this morning and said, Man, I hope I do nothing productive whatsoever? Anyone? Anyone? On Saturday? Okay, maybe for one day, but for a lifetime it's not going to happen, right? Because we want to... How many of you would like to die and know that you live for a reason and that your life counted for something? You guys all want that, right? Don't you want to live for something bigger than just yourself? Something bigger than just uh, eating and sleeping and dying? I do, and I think most of you do too. Jesus actually said that he came so that that could happen. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and that they might have it to the full. So Jesus himself promised us a life to the full. So a life of abundance, meaning, significance, doesn't mean it's a perfect, happy, fairy tale life. Uh, a lot of times, as a Christian, I encounter various problems and difficulties. He promised me that would happen. But he says that he promises a life of true meaning and abundance that nobody else can offer. And I know that that is true. And I think the first big risk that I think I want to mention tonight is the risk of giving somebody else control of your life. Okay, what if you're driving down the road like Ronnie, but you're actually awake, and somebody says, no, 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 you can't drive, this is too dangerous, whatever, I want to take the wheel. Don't you naturally want to say, no, 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 I got it under control, I can handle it myself. Now imagine that car is your life, and Jesus is sitting in the passenger seat saying, I want to take control of your life right now. A lot of us go, that's a big risk, give somebody else control of my life. What if he ruins it? What if I don't have any fun? Anybody ever think something like that? What if... Christians never have any fun. They're so boring. Thoughts like that can come into our heads, right? I don't want to give Christ control of my life. And maybe you've been there before where you thought that through. Well, Jesus promised something bigger than any person or any organization or this world in its entirety could offer you. He promised you an abundant and a full life that nobody can meet. But beyond that, He Himself promised that if you trusted in Him, He would give you eternal life with Him. Now this is cool. I've heard of a lot of religious figures promising salvation, but you have to work for it. You have to earn it. If you don't you know, do everything perfect, you're out. And a lot of times people grow up in Christian churches hearing this, that if I don't you know, go to church every Sunday, and if I don't do this and I don't do that, God's going to hate me and all this sort of stuff. Well, see, this isn't true. Jesus offered you a free gift of salvation. He said he loved you, that he has a plan for your life. But each one of us, we're sinful, right? We're separated from Him. We, we're selfish. We do what we want, not what He wants. So that separated us from Him. He said that He paid on the cross for every sin in your past and every sin in the future. I think Brandon shared a little bit about that during praise tonight. And it was so true. 
that you can come tonight wherever you're coming from, whatever happened this week, and you can know that you have 100% forgiveness simply because you asked him to come into your life and forgive you. So I wanted to just start out with that's a huge risk, but it has the biggest benefit of any risk. You guys have heard of uh, cost-benefit analysis? Any of you business majors, Tom? Maybe you've heard of that? A cost-benefit analysis is where you weigh the pros and the cons and find out what is going to be more valuable in the long run. After walking many years with Christ, I know there's nothing that can compare to the value of a personal relationship with Him. It goes far beyond any church or anything, but it was a big risk to start that. I had to say, okay, I'm handing you control, and I'm letting you come in. And He promised that He'd never leave me, and that He'd never forsake me, and that He'd take the keys, and that He would drive me the way it needed to happen. And that he would never quit working in my life. So that's kind of a cool thing. So I wanted to start off with that first step of risk of saying, I choose to let somebody else run my life. And then knowing that there's a huge payoff or benefit to that risk. So anyway, after that, I wanted to talk about what's, what, what is one of the main things that is involved in risk. That would be fear. Isn't fear kind of one of the main emotions in risk? Do you think it's possible to have fear without, or to have risk without having fear? I doubt it. I can't. I can't. That's why it's risk, because it's scary. So anyway, let me get some audience participation. What are some fears that people encounter on a regular basis? Failure. Failure. That's a huge one. Fear of failure. Okay, what else? Rejection. Rejection. Isn't that huge? Rejection. What else? Meeting people. Meeting people. That's a huge fear sometimes. Any others? Roommates. Roommates. <laughs> Any of them here? <laughs> okay, good. Any other big fears? What about the fear of death? Isn't that huge? Pain. Fear of pain. You got all these fears. Have you guys ever felt like those fears can control you at times? Because I've felt that way, where these fears are trapping me and, and they're preventing me from progress. Well, that's where risk comes in. It's where I confront that fear right in the face and I say, I'm going to step. And I'm going to challenge you, fear, and I'm going to go the next step. So we have fear of failure, fear of death, fear of rejection. What about just anxiety? Fear of the unknown. You guys ever experienced that? Aaron read a quote the other day. This is pretty amazing. It's from some French philosopher guy, and we couldn't find his name. But anyway, it said, Many terrible things have happened to me in my life, but luckily most of them never really occurred. Is that how it went? Okay, anyway, he was talking about our imaginations or our anxiety running wild and all these horrible things that we think are going to happen and then none of them ever happen. I've heard that over 80% of what you worry will never come true. So anxiety can, can control us. I know that I used to have a ton of anxiety about my family. You know, like, what's going to happen to my dad, my mom, you know, is my dad going to have a heart attack tonight? All this stuff. And I finally got to a place where literally every night I have to consciously put my family in God's hands. I just have to say it out loud. God, I put them in your hands right now and I choose not to worry. Because that anxiety will kill me. I can't sleep at night. All this stuff. Anyway, so there are all these types of fears that paralyze us and prevent us from experiencing that abundant life that Jesus talked about. And unfortunately, a lot of times we never confront them because we've never developed this attitude of risk, of being willing to confront this fear. Another thing that John wrote in 1 John 4.18, which is awesome, he said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Isn't that cool? So going back to that relationship where we let Christ come in and take the driver's seat, 
you guys ever been driving cross country with somebody through the night and you're afraid that they're going to fall asleep at the wheel and kill you? Erin's <laughs> done it with me. She raises her hand. <laughs> anyway, see, if Christ is in the driver's seat of my life, I don't have to have that kind of fear, right? That perfect love, that relationship between me and Christ relieves fear. I can trust Him. He has got this under control. I can trust Him with it. So in relationship with Christ, that fear can be relieved, and it will be relieved as we learn to walk with Him and give Him that. Comfort zones also prevent us from experiencing what God has for us. What are some common comfort zones? Let's hear it. Family? The couch. The couch. Yeah, Joel. Bed. Bed. Yeah. How many of you guys negotiate with the alarm clock? Don't raise your hands. Right? Isn't that true? Okay, a few people raise their hands. Where the alarm clock goes off, you hit it. I'll wait another 20 minutes. Hit it. Wait another 20 minutes. Hit it. Wait another. That's a comfort zone. I guarantee if you don't learn how to use an alarm clock, you will never be successful in life. That's a promise. I'm just telling you right now, you'll get fired from your jobs. You will probably, I don't know, a lot of bad things. Sleep (laughs) really late. Okay, you'll probably make a lot of people mad because you don't show up when you say you will. What are some other comfort zones? Friends, right? What if your friends say, I want to do this, and you, and so peer pressure. I'm going to do what my friends want me to do. That's a comfort zone. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to feel weird. Anything else? English speaking countries. countries. Yeah, Terry had to try and share the gospel in, I think, Spanish and Romanian since I've known her. Pretty crazy. Anything else? (laughs) Tom is weird. (laughs) Okay, anybody else? Yourself. Yourself, that's true. My self-image, that's a comfort zone. I don't know, I don't know if I really want to get that hardcore for Jesus. You know, people might think I'm a little weird. You guys ever think that before? I have. It's a comfort zone I've dealt with. Okay, what about the living room versus the outdoors? Okay, these are just kind of lifestyle differences that illustrate comfort zones. Sometimes it's a lot more comfortable to sit in the living room. Or how about video games versus, I don't know, real adventure. This is the one that really annoys me all the time. So none of you guys that are friends with me ever do this. I I love snowboarding. I used to be a sponsored snowboarder. It was practically my life until God showed me that I needed him to be more important. That being said, I really like snowboarding a lot. And a lot of times people hear that, and they go, you got to come over to my house and play Snowboarder 360 on some video game console. No way, not in a million years, because that's fake. I like snowboarding out in the real snow with a real jump, with a real snowboard. I don't like watching it on a TV. But what about this whole idea of a virtual life versus a real life? I think in our society, this, is, this just happens. We start living a virtual life, a MySpace life. I put my stuff... <laughs> I've never even been to MySpace, so <laughs> just that. No, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but isn't that right? Like this life that's virtual, it's not the real me. How do I look? What, what do people think about me? There's a great quote from a friend of mine. Or, well, not a really good friend. Here's a great quote from a pastor that I've met a few times. <laughs> His name is Pastor Schaller. He, he said, I don't watch movies. My life is a movie. I thought that was such a great quote about true adventure versus watching it on the TV. So basically, the opposite of a climate-controlled life, of not rocking the boat, of no danger, 
of uh, no risk, but absolutely no life. So here's the opposite of all that, and that is walking by faith. That's something that God called us to. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. And that's talking about those who place their faith in Christ. So it's this life of taking risk, this life of walking by faith. And I hope tonight that that's the picture that you get, that as, as God's son or daughter, because that's who you are, as God's son or daughter, I've been called to have a life of taking risks. And it's really, really amazing. So walking by faith frees us from fear, from comfort zones, and from meaninglessness. Walking by faith is scary. How many of you guys uh, ever read something challenging in the Bible and said, Ooh, that sounds like a blast. Nick, the first time that you heard that you're supposed to share your faith, what was the first thought that went through your mind? Look at the time, i got to go. It wasn't, ooh, I get to do that? Maybe for some of you it was, but initially in a lot of big steps like that, there's some fear. There's some comfort zones that have to be crossed that are keeping us where we're at and keeping us from growing into what God has for us. Cody, how about this summer in Romania? Raising, how much did you have to raise? $3,000? When I told you that, I remember we were sitting in the parking lot and I said, you'd probably need to raise $3,000 for this trip. Is there any fear... Yes. Yes. In that kind of a a big comfort zone. I have to go ask a bunch of people for money. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, No, it's not. Walking by faith is scary. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we think, I want to have a comfortable life that's not scary. And so we never learn to walk by faith because we try to maintain a comfort zone, which cannot happen, and walk by faith at the same time. Have you guys ever heard of this idea of stepping out on a limb? That's the greatest picture that I can describe faith with, because it really is. It's like this tiny little thin little limb of a tree, and you're stepping out on it, expecting it to support your weight. And everything in your head says it's not going to work. And you step out and watch God make it work. This is one of my favorite little passages in the Bible, Acts 19, 29-30. Paul's speaking to the Ephesians about Jesus, sharing that same message that I just shared a minute ago, that through Christ we can have a free gift of salvation simply by asking Him to come into our lives and asking Him to forgive us. They got really mad because that went right against the grain of their religious views. And so the whole city actually is wanting to kill Paul. They want to kill him, basically. So that's where this picks up. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. So you have the entire city creating this rioting mob and grabbing Paul's friends and companions and rushing. And they're all chanting and yelling and screaming and they want to kill Paul. And so what does Paul do? This is a quote right here. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd. So this is all happening. Paul's like, let me go out there and share with them. Let me go out there and speak with them. We've been in, uh, Aaron and I and a bunch of you in this room have been in Athens a couple months ago. And in Athens we got to see some of the places that Paul spoke. And it was pretty exciting. And as we were reading through the book of Acts, it was interesting. Paul would go into a city, preach. Everybody would try to kill him and get kicked out. He'd go to the next city, preach. Everybody would try to kill him and get kicked out. Go to the next city, preach. Everybody would try to kill him and get kicked out. You'd think that the guy would finally say, okay, I'm going to chill out, maybe not do this. But he kept on stepping out in faith, trusting God, willing to confront fear and take risk for Christ. A great way to think of faith is this little phrase. I hope you remember this. Doing your part, expecting God to do His part. Because your part is small, and God's part is really big. 
a step of faith has to happen for me to get out of my comfort zone so God can start working. God promised us His Holy Spirit would empower us and direct us to live the life that He wants us to live on this planet, to do the things He wants us to do on this planet. But I've got to first allow Him the control. I've got to first be obedient to Him prompting me and leading me and guiding me. If I won't be obedient to Him, the game's over. So no risk, no anything. That's what risk has to happen for profit. The higher the risk, the higher the benefit. The higher you'll get in return. That's how it is in the stock market. Marriage. Probably the scariest day of my life was the day I got married. And that is true. Because I had every worry and anxiety that I've ever thought about marriage running through my mind all at once. My parents got divorced, so you can imagine all the complicated thoughts. I was thinking, will this work? What if this doesn't work? What if that doesn't work? And I remember sitting on the hill behind me and Tom's house, because we were roommates at the time, and I was reading my little Bible, and I was shaking so bad I almost couldn't read it, because that's how worried I was. And I finally said, God, I take all those worries, and I give them to you. I'm just going to trust you, and I'm going to make a step of faith today. And I'm just going to let you take control from here. So marriage is a huge risk. A house, any of you guys ever want to get a house? Unless you have $200,000 or more around here, you probably won't be able to get a house unless you get a loan. And when you sign a mortgage for that amount of money for 30 years, that's a big risk, right? What if I lose all this money I'm investing? But it provides something really good in the long term, a place for you and your family to live. What about college? You guys all took a risk coming to college, to Fort Lewis. You're betting that when you get out of here, you'll get a better job than if you didn't come, most of you. That's a risk. All, all benefit in life requires some kind of risk beforehand. There's wise risk and there are foolish risks. Wise risk for the Christian happens in the context of God's will and his word, right? God tells us certain things. He says, this is what I have planned for you. And so we can know that that's a wise risk. I can step out in faith and trust him. Uh, examples, sharing my faith. It scares me half to death, but I can step out in faith taking a little bit of a risk that I know God called me to and knowing that He will meet me right there and do His part as I do my part. What about foolish risk? Well, like what Ronnie's picture was all about. Driving uh, sleep at the wheel. Doing things without using wisdom. That's foolish risk. And a lot of times people do it. And it's not any good. But wise risk is a benefit always. Areas of risk. Physical body and health. My health is a big deal. Every time we get on an airplane, we're taking a risk with our lives, with our very lives. But what are the benefits? We get to go overseas and share. This summer, we got to individually share the gospel with five, over 500 Romanian students. That's a huge, awesome thing. But there was a risk involved in it. The other things that occurred, we flew into Bucharest, Romania, with, which had 17,000 people quarantined for bird flu the day before that we, we flew in. And we found that out here, and we could have canceled the trip, but we took the risk with our health. But it was valuable in the long run. What about your reputation? You're going to have to have some risks in your reputation. God's will versus peer pressure. Sometimes it won't be the cool thing to do. Your possessions, tithing, giving, spending wisely, all those are areas of risks. What about relationships? Somebody said meeting people. That's a risk. What if I've known some people that refuse to meet other people, and their lives are boring? And they never progress in their own lives or in their walk with God because they just won't meet people. And it's really sad. Even if that is a scary thing, I think it is a doorway 
right, to experiencing the abundant life. Being vulnerable, honest, and real is hard, but that's something that God has called us to, right? To develop intimate relationships with other people that can encourage us, that can help us grow. What about your grades and GPA? A lot of you have said, while I'm here at Fort Lewis College, I'm going to live for what God's called me to. And a lot of times that might impact your GPA in a not-so-great way. I'm not saying to go blow your exams, but what I am saying is that as you put God first in your life, you may risk some areas that maybe aren't so fun to risk. I know my GPA would have been a lot higher if I would have just focused on school while I was in school. But it was just fine when I left and never had a problem getting a job or anything like that. And I learned a whole lot more about my walk with God. And I learned a whole lot more about things like balance. And I met the woman of my dreams that I'm now married to. All that involved taking a risk and realizing, man, I can't spend 24 hours a day in the books. So anyway, all these different areas of risk. What about your future? How many of you guys have dreams that you've had most of your life? Even for a few years. Maybe not most of your life. Okay, I always wanted to be a doctor, a medical missionary. I wanted to be a doctor, and that I came to Fort Lewis. I wanted to be pre-med. Probably the first time I met Tom, I said, I'm going to be a doctor. God changed that desire. He changed that. He, had, he asked me to give it up and to invest my life in people like you guys here and college students that have their whole lives ahead of them that can follow God for the rest of their lives. And so me and Aaron did that. We gave up, in that respect, a dream that I'd had for a long time. But, man, I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. You couldn't get me to go be a doctor for a million dollars because I love this so much more, because God was in it. It was his plan for my life, and it's awesome. So your ideas might go out the window, but you'll experience far better. You can think of risk like this. There's always good stress and bad stress. Josh back there does EKGs of people's hearts, protect them, help them save their lives, all that sort of stuff. So Josh, running probably stresses your heart, right? But would you say that runners uh, have worse hearts than non-runners? No, right? Because that stress is positive and healthy for the heart. But what about if you never did anything that stressed your heart at all? What would happen? <laughs> You'd be seeing him. Exactly. You'd be seeing Josh in the emergency center or something like that. Because that little bit of risk, especially on a regular basis, is vital for health. And it's the same way with us in our Christian lives. If we aren't risking for God on a regular basis... We get really lazy, the cholesterol goes up, and <laughs> I don't know what else happens, and the heart needs to go see a doctor. But that is how it is. We are called to take risk. So, basically, guys, you're in a fight, whether you know it or not. And if you choose not to fight, you just lost the fight. You're all in a fight. You're in a fight with one, Satan. The Bible straight up tells you that there is a real Satan, and his plan is to steal, kill, and destroy you. Okay, So that's his plan. That's what he's coming at you with. And if you don't know it, or if you're not thinking about it, that might be why you see that happening. What about the world? The world constantly is in a fight with us. How many of you guys have ever, you don't even have to raise your hands, been convinced to do something you really didn't want to do? By peers, by friends, all this peer pressure dragging me to do something I don't want to do. That's this world that is dragging you down, that is fighting you. What about your own flesh? I think we've all been there, right? Romans 7, Paul talks about, I want to do one thing and I end up doing the other thing. And I don't want to do one thing and I end up doing it. And the good I want to do, I never get to do. He says there's this battle with my own flesh fighting my spirit person. 
And so we have this three-front battle with the world, with Satan, and with our flesh. And if, if we don't fight, we're dead. Ephesians six ten through 11 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. He's equipped us to take that stand. He's equipped us to actually survive that fight and actually go way beyond that and win. So develop a lifestyle of taking risk. Now here's my challenge. I would challenge all of you guys to learn a new sport that you're scared to do this year. Okay, I told Mason I'd go rock climbing with him if he takes me. I'm scared to death of rock climbing. So, Mason, you got to keep me accountable to that. you got to give me the call, say, Nate, I'm taking you rock climbing, I don't care if you're scared, or something like that. Anyway, learn a new sport. Learn to develop a character at risk. When I started snowboarding, it made my entire life be more risky. I started taking risks in areas I never did before because I'd go do it on the snowboard hill, and it carried over. It had this carryover effect where I was willing to take risk in other areas too. So learn a new sport. Do something spontaneous. I want you guys to be wise, but have fun. Decide to go to the Pagosa Hot Springs in the middle of the night. or I don't know. We used to do that a lot when we were students. Do something spontaneous. Practice sharing your faith. There's a great area to, to risk something. It's hard and it's scary, but it's so rewarding. You know, just to make that step and say, man, I'm going to try. And even if I fail like crazy, I'm just going to try. So overcome challenges. Encounter your challenges head on. Don't let the challenges rule you. You guys each have challenges in your life right now, I think. And you probably each have challenges that you're scared to death to confront. Confront them head on. Take a risk because you will win. Romans 8.37 says that you're more than conquerors, that he's made you more than conquerors. That's who you are as God's son. So take that risk head on and go. Be prepared for action. 1 Peter 1.13 says prepare your minds for action. How do you get prepared for action? Practice, practice, practice. Take risk, take risk, take risk. Again, I'm talking about the good risks, the, the steps of faith that we need to take to grow. Be taking those the comfort zones that we need to break out of. I don't know if it's going to another country. I don't know if it's going on a mission trip. I don't know if it is sharing Christ with your roommate. I don't know what it is for you. Or maybe it is just that first step of saying, I'm going to trust you with the keys to my life. Whatever it is, learn to be prepared for action, to take little steps of risk. Make decisions. No decision is often worse than a wrong decision. I always say that because it's so true. If we develop this character being afraid to make a decision about anything, it will kill us. And that is so prevalent in our society today. You just go to a restaurant sometime and watch people try to decide what to eat. They can't, right? Have you guys ever done that? It's, it's true. Learn to make decisions. It's vitally important in life. Learn to take risk even in that. Take initiative. If God puts something on your heart, go for it. A lot of you guys will say, well, you never asked us to do a talk. In Master Plan, for you guys that are new, a lot of Starting next week, I think Ronnie's going to be talking. We try to let the students do most of speaking. Don't wait till somebody comes and asks you. Come and ask me or come and ask Aaron. Say, hey, I'd like to do a talk sometimes. And we'll talk about it. And we'll find a way for you to make that kind of step. Or if it's singing on the praise team, go talk to Brandon. Or if it's sharing your faith and you're scared to death to do it, come talk to me or Ronnie or Joel back there. If you're one of the girls, talk to Aaron or Jackie or Cassie or I don't know. We'll take you out and do it with you. But learn to take initiative and step out in faith. And I guess I want to hit the intrinsic motivation, which is love. 
Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Now he's given us a lot of ways that he wants us to follow him. And out of love for him, I can obey that. Not out of fear, but out of love. Galatians 5, 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now this is the deal. All those fears and the comfort zones that enslave us, right? You guys already mentioned that or agreed with me on that. They keep us from living the kind of life that we want to live and that we know God wants us to live. Now, it says here that Christ set us free from that stuff. But it says stand firm and don't be enslaved again. So this is a process where I'm learning to take risk and not be enslaved by my fears, not be enslaved by my comfort zones, but to step out and go. Now, here are a few modern examples. You guys hear about uh, the three Indonesian schoolgirls last October, 2005, so 11 months ago. They were all... Middle school, I think. Anyway, they were all beheaded because they were Christians. Now, three schoolgirls, they probably had a lot more fear than most of the people in this room, naturally. They probably had a lot less courage because they had a lot less life experience. But they are willing to be beheaded because they had put their trust in Jesus Christ. I always heard of the three and never even heard, but there's a fourth one that actually survived the attack. She has a, a slit mark all the way across her face a big scar running from behind her ear all the way across. And I was going to try and get a picture for the PowerPoint tonight, but they wouldn't let me take the picture offline. They were willing to risk everything because of their relationship with Christ. And I know that's challenging to me. If they can you know, be beheaded because of their belief in Christ, I think I can share my faith. I think I can step out in the little ways that God's calling me to. What about Chinese Christians? Listen to this story out of The Heavenly Man. It's a book written by Brother Yun. In just one city in China, Wenzhou and Zhejiang province, 49 pastors were sent to prison labor camps near the Russian border in 1950. Many were given sentences of up to 20 years for their crimes of preaching the gospel. Of those 49 pastors, just one returned home. 48 died in prison. In my home area, and this is uh, Brother Yan speaking, in my home area of Nanyang, believers were crucified on the walls of their churches for not denying Christ. Others were chained to vehicles and horses and dragged to their death. One pastor was bound and attached to a long rope. The authorities, enraged that the man would not deny his faith, used a makeshift crane to lift him high into the air. The pastor was asked one last time by his persecutors if he would recant. He shouted back, No, I will never deny the Lord who saved me. The rope was released and the pastor crashed to the ground below. Upon inspection, the tormentors discovered the pastor was not fully dead. So they raised him up into the air for a second time, dropping the rope to finish him off for good. In this life, the pastor was dead, but he lives on in heaven with the reward of one who is faithful to the end. Think, man, if they can do it, I can do the little steps of faith, the little risks that God's called me to here. Rachel Scott of Columbine. How many of us, if there was a gun pointed in our heads? Randall reminded me of this story yesterday. How many of us, if a gun was pointed to our head, would say, yeah, I do believe in God, and, and let that bullet kill us? I want to say yes. But I, it's hard to say what you do in that situation. It's hard to say how your mind would start rationalizing, start thinking, I can say no, and you know, God will forgive me and all this stuff. How many of us would stand up? And that's my real question is not whether we die for him, but whether we'll live for him. I think that's the more important question, is where, whether we'll live today for him. Bill Bright, his goal for his life was to fulfill the entire Great Commission in his lifetime. 
to share the gospel with basically everybody on the planet in his lifetime. Billy Graham is the greatest evangelist in history. I want to be like that. I want to be like Jonathan. You guys know the story where Jonathan and his armor bearer, they, they see these Philistines that are basically trapping their camp. And they say, let's go up and kill these guys. He actually, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to that outpost and, and uh, to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And that's my challenge. What challenges do you need to face head on? They, they went and killed 20 guys, and that sparked the winning of the entire war for him. What about Esther? Esther risked her life to save her entire people, all, of her, all the Israelites. And her quote was, I will go to the king even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So what risks are you willing to take? How big of a risk are you willing to take? Gideon gave God control over his fear, and he and 300 of his men defeated the entire army of the Midianites. This is so cool, the way, the way Gideon talks to God. In, in Judges 6, 14-16, it says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And now here's Gideon. He says, But Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Basically, he goes, I'm the weakest person on the entire planet. Why would you pick me? And God says, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Isn't that cool? So what fears will you let God have control of? And that's the thing. What are those areas of fear that you need to let God have control of? Moses trusted God with his insecurities and led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, Genesis 3, 11-12, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. So what insecurities will you surrender to God? 2 Corinthians 11, 23-27, Paul says, I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. Because I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Talk about breaking out of comfort zones. Nothing stopped him. So what will you let stop you, or what comfort zones will you break out of as you follow God? Jeremiah 1.17, what if God said this to you? Get yourself ready, stand up, and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. And he says, today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So what if God says, hey, Ryan, you got this idea. I think you're supposed to talk to all people of the United States of America, and they're all going to try and kill you, every single one of them, the politicians, the military, the policemen, the officials, and basically everybody in the land will try to kill you. But uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> Be like, right, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But he was willing to face that kind of rejection to stand for God. Abraham, this is so cool. Then God said, take your son. And God doesn't just let him off that easy. God had promised Abraham that he'd be the father of many nations, many thousands of people. And he finally has one son. And he's very old and about to die. So this is his only chance at the biggest dream he's ever had. Many of you probably have had a dream like that. And this is your one chance at it. 
and God asks him to give up that dream. And God doesn't just say, take your son and, and go sacrifice him. He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. <laughs> he repeats it and repeats it and repeats it again. And he says, take him and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And that's my question. What will you surrender to God? What life dreams do you need to surrender to Him? It goes on and on and on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow to a foreign god. They said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. They said, we will take that risk, but we are not going to bow down. Daniel did the same thing in the lion's den. And this is my challenge to be this kind of risk taker because the world needs desperately people that will stand up and make a difference right now.